Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. So this has been uh, quite the week, huh? Seven days ago, we were in this room, uh, and uh, there was no state of emergency. There was no national emergency. Sports Center still had sports, and now it's sportless. Um, large group gatherings have been banned, hence we're uh, doing this online today. Uh, kids don't have school for weeks. Um, teachers, you don't have school for weeks. And in the course of seven days, everything just kind of went crazy. Going grocery uh, shopping is like Black Friday at Best Buy back in like the early 2000s. I mean, it's chaotic. And to make the week even weirder, um, Sarah Palin wrapped Baby Got Back on Masked Singer. I mean, like what is happening in this world today? (laughs) So I thought the way that we could start is just by taking a breath, like a really good deep breath, like like, a, here's a birthday candle. Like, let's imagine we take a breath and we blow it out. And that candle is extinguished. One of the most difficult times in my life, one of the most challenging periods in my life um, was about nine years ago. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, in fact. Um, I've, I've shared this story once before a few years back. Of um, I was speaking in Egypt, and I was landing in Cairo about the time uh, that the revolution in Egypt was uh, being sparked and kicking off. And so as my plane touched the ground and I turned on my phone, I got a push notification saying that 27 Christians had just been killed just a few miles from where I was staying while I was there. And uh, I remember kind of when that happened, there was a sense of like panic that kind of crept in of like, what is happening? Because I was there to speak at a church for an entire week. And uh, as I got to the hotel and, you know, our cars being searched and armed guards are everywhere because we're just a few miles from where uh, the revolution had kicked off and buildings had been burned down and people had been killed. And as I lay in bed that night, I couldn't sleep. Um, I don't know if it was adrenaline, if it was anxiety, but I just, the entire night, I couldn't sleep to... uh, the next morning, the sun rises, and I'm just emotionally, physically already spent, and it's just day one. As I arrive at the church and I meet my translator, the first thing he says to me is not, hey, my name is John. He says, hey, don't get me killed while you're here. And at the time, my wife, eight months pregnant, um, me never having been in this moment before, is like, uh, okay, my name is Chris, and I'll try not to get you killed. I mean, I don't know how to respond to that. And, um, and so every night I would walk into the church. There would be a couple armed guards, uh, machine guns, or ones posted out the door. And I, I remember the entire 10 days, it was one long panic attack. I couldn't sleep. My OCD um, had went to a level that I'd never experienced before. I'd never gotten to the edge of what I think a mental collapse would have been, but I hung out on that precipice for a while. 
that entire 10 days. And while I was there talking to a people who were also filled with anxiety and fear, I was there to deliver hope, and I myself didn't feel very hopeful. And while I was there, one of the messages that I ended up delivering was a, from a passage that since then has, has become very significant in my life. It was a passage delivered to a group of people. It was intended for a group of people who were going through a really difficult, hard time. It was written almost a few hundred years before any of these people would actually need this message, but it was perfectly timed for them when they walked through that pressure and that struggle. It's a very old section of the Bible. It's in the Jewish scriptures portion that Christians call the Old Testament. It's a section of the Old Testament, a group of chapters that is the most studied and most scholarly debated and researched portion of the Old Testament and and the entire Old Testament. These few chapters have gotten most of the scholarly attention because there's so much inside the second half of this book that we call the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is named after the prophet who wrote it, who was at a very pivotal time in Israel's history. He was watching Israel as a nation slowly decline, and yet he was writing messages not for the people who were present and alive. He was writing messages for the people who were going to walk through one of Israel's darkest histories, one of the darkest periods called the exile, when they would be conquered by a foreign nation and they would be taken off to a foreign land. And in one week time, they went from hearing their language to their language being outlawed in a nation with food, with smells, with customs that they'd never experienced before. And Isaiah writes a message for these people. It's found in Isaiah um, chapter 40. It's just a few verses. There's the whole chapter itself is so inspirational, inspiring. But I just want to spend a few moments with you today looking at a couple of those verses that speaks to where we are even today as we deal with a lot of uncertainty and as we deal with a lot of anxiety. It begins with these words, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary And he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Even as you're listening to me reading this passage, a couple things kind of stand out as I speak. You can pick up on this tension, this underlying tiredness and weariness. It's repeated multiple times in this very short section of Scripture. They're exhausted. They're they're heavy. They're worn out. And Isaiah actually uses two different words. I think really gives us a good insight for how truly devastating this period of time was for them. He uses the word like tired, which comes from something... Uh, that concept of like just a loss of physical strength, the, the way you may feel after you've wrangled your baby all day, or the way you might feel after you've run a race, or you've been doing a lot of yard work, that sense that your body is just physically kind of spent. But then he uses the phrase weary, 
which is different. Weary points to a type of exhaustion that comes because of life's pressures on you. So one, tired is where your body has externally spent. Weary is when the world and its pressure on you and the pain that you're going through and the circumstances you're walking through is draining you too. And when you find yourself in a tired and weary place, you experience something that's far more exhausting than either one of them individually. I imagine that some of you today, that's how you would describe yourself. You're tired and you're weary. You feel the emotional weight of your kids' questions or your businesses, kind of, what are we going to do if there's no one showing up? Or you feel the emotional energy already starting to leak out of you because you're starting to realize that you've got six weeks with your kids and they've got six weeks with you, and what are you going to do? And it makes you tired just thinking about it. And these people, like us, are experiencing both a tired and a weariness. And one of the things that naturally happens when you go through a difficult time, when you're going through that kind of pressure, and you're both tired and weary, is that what starts to happen is it starts to affect your emotions and your thinking. Your emotions get spent. You find yourself overreacting. You find yourself kind of lashing out because you're overwhelmed. Small, simple things become very big things. All of a sudden, toilet paper disappearing as calls for panic. Like, you feel that. You feel it on the inside. And when that starts to creep in, we start to look for ways to escape. Whether it's shrinking into Netflix or opening up a bottle or wanting to sleep a little bit more, we try to find ways to escape what we're dealing with as we're walking through what we're walking through. And not only does it affect our emotions, it starts to creep into our thinking. We start to get distorted in our perspective. We start to overthink or kind of complicate or kind of start to get confused in what we're walking through. You even see that in verse 27 when Isaiah is asking them, why are you complaining? Why are you saying my way is hidden from the Lord? And Isaiah is like, this, this was written to you long before you were even born because God already knew what you were about to walk through. And yet you think God is confused or unaware of what you're going through. Even their thinking had become distorted in the process. It was scattered because they were overwhelmed. They were tired and they were weary. And to make this point even stronger, Isaiah uses two different words in this passage further down where he says that the youth and the young men. The, the word play is intentional. You see, youth are all people, kind of boys, girls, that youthful teenage vigor where you can't feed them enough. They never seem to stop. Um, they just have boundless energy. He's saying that even those people, even that group, sometimes get tired. And then he goes over and he says young men. But young men doesn't fully capture. What he's talking about when he says young men there are those people who are not inherently energetic like the youth is. It's they're intentionally energetic and strong. These are a, a better way of capturing this word would be bodybuilders. People who are athletic, those, those professional players who aren't really playing right now. Those people. That's the young men word. He's saying even people who are intentionally strong. Even sometimes they get sick and they get weak. 
And so he's saying, look, all of us, all of us have to walk through times like this. All of us have to go through situations and circumstances where we struggle. I have a, a young son who's seven months old, and it's, it's been interesting watching him because he's starting to get in that phase where he's a little mobile. He's starting to scoot a little bit, and he hasn't mastered crawling. He kind of crawls backwards, so he's oftentimes getting stuck underneath the couch or anything else that has a high enough kind of edge for him to back himself into. And as I've watched him trying to figure out how to use his hands, and as I figure out him watching his little, like, mouth and tongue and that he likes to do back and forth with this. I, I, I've kind of like had these moments where I'm imagining, what if that was me? And I just feel anxious. I'm like, man, that would be so horrible having to figure out how to walk again or figure out how to use my mouth or my tongue or my hands. Like, like that has to be the most frustrating thing. But like, he just smiles. And it hit me, he was driving down the road a couple days ago. I was like, this is his normal. It's normal for him to expect struggle. It's normal for him to expect it to be hard. Everything in my son's life is hard because it's all brand new, which isn't too far off from what it's like to be an adult when you step into new hard things too, except that we've gotten so used to things being easier that we forget that we live in a world where the the norm is hard, where the norm is to struggle. And periods like this are great reminders for us that sometimes life is hard, and it's okay. That it's going to be okay. That this isn't the first time our, our collective humanity has walked through a difficult period of time, and it won't be the last either. That one day when we zoom out a year from now, we'll kind of laugh and talk about that period of time of, driving each other insane because we had to play Uno for the 17th time or that, you know, we had to start rationing toilet paper because a young kid in your house thought toilet paper was just paper money and just throwing it all around and all of a sudden you're lashing out because you're like, you get five pieces today. You understand? Five pieces, so use them wisely, right? I mean, like, I mean, we, one day we'll laugh about all this. Even this week, talking to my daughter when it was announced, hey, school's going to be out. And all of a sudden, there was this cascade of schools being out for a week, two weeks, um, Boston Public, six weeks, and some colleges indefinitely this semester. Then I said, sweetie, you know, we're, we're going into a period of time where uh, kind of collectively as a society, we're going to start to make choices. And the choices are really about trying to keep other people healthy. And this is one of the ways that we're going to love people is that because some of the people who could get this could be really vulnerable. And we want to make sure that love does, even in these kind of moments. But I said, hey, sweetie, look at me. This is not a forever thing, babe. This is just a for now thing. It's not forever. It's for now. One day, life will go back to the way it was. And this whole season that feels so big and so large will just be a few sentences that we say every once in a while when we reflect back on this time. And that... When we find ourselves in struggle, that we can get over, kind of overwhelmed by it. But watching my, my son this week, I've just been reminded that, you know, I should probably step into this season like it's the new normal. The new normal is going to be social distancing. The new normal is going to be headlines that are constantly talking about COVID-19. But that doesn't mean that I, I'm not, I don't have any control in it. That means I can sometimes take a step back and not read the news, to not look at the most updated count numbers, 
and try to enjoy the new normal because in the new normal, there are gifts too. There are opportunities, there are conversations, there are hobbies that are waiting to be formed. There are, um, we're really fortunate that in the midst of this thing happening, we're one of the warmest winters in our history. And so even yesterday, I was able to go out for a, a little walk and just enjoy the beautiful weather and to be reminded like, okay, we're going to go through a short season where it's going to feel chaotic, but this is not forever. It's just for now. And that by taking this step back, by shifting and kind of taking a deep breath, we're reminded ultimately what Isaiah is trying to make them understand that sometimes life is hard. But if you have hope, it changes it all. And this is where Isaiah offers this hope. He says, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? the creator of the ends of the earth. He's trying to draw their attention. He's saying, look, he will not grow tired or weary. You will, but he's not. And in and, and his understanding, no one can fathom. You may not understand everything happening right now, but he does. And by shifting our focus off of our circumstances, which feels so hopeless, which can feel very overwhelming, and we shift our focus onto the character of who God is, the everlasting one, the one who is the creator, sustainer, the strengthener, the enabler, that all of a sudden what starts to happen is that we can find hope. And we can start to experience a little bit of the promise of verse 29 when it says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. That he gives one of, uh, one of the mentors for me through book has been John Maxwell. John Maxwell has written, I don't even know how many books, dozens of books around leadership. And I was recently listening to a friend of his telling a story um, about John's childhood. John was talking about uh, when he was young, he had an older brother named Larry. And that one of the things that Larry and John did every single day right after dinner was they would go into the living room and they would wrestle. And, um, and I grew up with a brother as well. And this is just reality for me. It, me too. It was just, you just fall. And so Larry and John would wrestle every single day after dinner. And their father, Melvin, would sometimes come in and watch them be boys rolling around the floor and acting crazy. And John said that Larry was my older brother. He'd blown out a few more birthday candles than I had. And that Larry um, was always pinning John to the ground. And Melvin one day was sitting in the room and John said that my brother was starting to pin me faster and harder, quicker. And my dad watched that play out. And one day, Melvin, his father, stood up and said, Larry, come sit down. I want to wrestle John. And he said, my father got on the ground, grabbed a hold of me, and we started going at it. He said, he made me work so hard. He, he kept pressing up against me. We're going back and forth and back and forth. He said, and then my father did something I will never, ever forget. In the midst of all the sweating and the working hard, my father let me pin him. And as my father got up and sat back down, my brother, every time we wrestled, never, ever pinned me ever again. You see, Melvin stepped into his son's world and what he ultimately gave him 
was hope. John needed hope to unlock and to be able to overpower his older brother. And his father gave it to him. And Isaiah in this passage talks about God as a father who steps into our world to give us hope. At the core of the Christian message, we call him Jesus, who did exactly that thing. He stepped into your world and he stepped into mine. And when he did, and when I accepted it, he gave me hope. And that hope, he says, can renew us, can renew our strength. That there's something about that hope being given to us from our Father that changes how we walk through our circumstances. With our eyes fixed on him and who he is and the hope that he gives And a very useful, interesting wordplay is that Isaiah says that we will renew our strength. The renew is kind of a kind of an interesting word. It's almost like each day you renew your clothing. It's this idea of putting on fresh regularly. So kind of picking out your clothes and kind of renewing yourself. It's almost daily. We have to put that on to go and grab that fresh hope and to wrap it around ourselves to step into the circumstances that we're going through, to walk through whatever it is that we're walking through. And the intention with this word that Isaiah chooses is the focus around the the fact that we have to keep doing this over and over again. And that this is not something that we do one time and we walk away. It's something that daily we have to be reminded of. Because in circumstances and situations like what they were facing and what some of us maybe are feeling right now, The reality is, is that we're probably just at the beginning of whatever this is. And I don't know what it is. And there are a lot of experts who have really helpful articles and really helpful studies that are are trying to predict what this could look like. But my sense and what I've said to my daughter is that, sweetie, it's probably going to get harder before it gets easier. And it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But God is with us. God is for us. And that we're going to make memories in this season. We're going to write new storylines. We're going to see new ways that he shows up. And we're going to be people who believe that even in the midst of this hard time, God can do something special through it. Because he's the God who gives us hope. And that if we're willing to put it on daily, it can start to transform how we see the world. You see, I started this message by asking you to blow out a candle and breathe out. But there's a God who breathes in, who gives us this life and hope. And what's fascinating, I come across that word picture as I was researching uh, for next week's message and for a resource that we're going to send to you. Um, There's this word picture. So when you blow out a candle, there's the flame. And the simple movement of wind out of your lungs puts it out. But I think what Isaiah is ultimately pointing us to here, what can ultimately happen for you and for me is that you and I don't have to be birthday candles. We can be brush fires. You see a brush fire when the wind blows actually makes it grow. The wind blowing makes it start growing. It gets bigger as it faces resistance. It gets stronger as it faces wind that sweeps through. 
that we, because of what we see in this passage, because of the promise that Isaiah is pointing us to, of a God who gives hope, a God who renews, who gives strength, that God, we can be people who are brush fires, who face this resistance, who face these circumstances, and actually grow and get stronger because of it. And so when you're a brush fire, you don't fear the wind, you welcome it. You let it in because you know the, the better is on the other side of that wind blowing against you and the hope that can come from it. And for some of us in this season who are not sure if you have that hope, you can have it. You can have this confidence that Isaiah is talking about. And it comes through Jesus. And it comes through a simple hope and trust in who he is. We talk about faith, and that's kind of a word that gets thrown around, but sometimes faith can be a confusing thing. I, I love the story of uh, this, this tightrope walker back in the 1800s who's named Blondini. I, I think it illustrates really well what the New Testament concept of faith really looks like. You see, Blondini, because this was a period prior to Sports Center, like what we're in right now without sports, that they would um, walk across these tightropes, and people would come and gather. There's no television, so this is the way you would experience it. And one day, when um, Blondini was walking across this massive ravine, he said, how many of you believe that I can take someone, put them in a wheelbarrow, push them all the way across to the other side? And they're like, Blondini, we believe you're awesome, right? And they're cheering and they're clapping because they can't wait to see it. And then Blondini says, who wants to volunteer? And everyone got silent. And no one moved because no one wanted it to look like they were volunteering for what Blondini was asking. And then one person raised their hand. And Blondini put them in that wheelbarrow and pushed them across and brought them back. In the New Testament, when it talks about faith, faith looks more like that man in the wheelbarrow than it does the crowd cheering. And the reason that so many of us don't experience the hope that we could, is that oftentimes we treat faith like the crowd. But in these kind of periods of time, for us to experience the hope that's promised us, we have to actually step in and put our trust and believe that God is going to work. It doesn't take responsibility from us, right? You see that he says that they are going to walk and not grow weary, that they're going to run and not grow weary, that they will walk and they won't faint, that they'll They'll soar. Well, you still got to move your legs. You still have to flap your wings. You still have to move and act in faith. But ultimately, where the hope comes from is the trust that there is a God who's bigger than the circumstances. There's a God who's greater than the situation that you're walking through. And that hope can be for you and for me today. And if you want to go to EncounterChurch.com backslash faith or click on Exploring Faith in the icon, we actually created a page where you can kind of watch a video from me that explains a little bit more of how you can personally step in to that faith and that hope today. As a church, we're also looking at this situation and trying to imagine what does it look like for us to be a brush fire, and not a birthday candle. And for us, we're, we have a few different responses that we're thinking through. One is that we're working to expand how we do online even beyond Sunday morning. We recognize that if we move into a season, if this is not just a, a, like a, a blizzard, but as it's been described, if 
where we shut down for a small season. But if this is more like a winter that we have to take a break, then what does it look like for us to make sure that in a period where people are socially distancing, that we don't socially and spiritually disconnect, which I think is even more dangerous. And so we're trying to imagine what does it look like to have an online presence that goes beyond just right now, Sunday morning? What does it look like to connect with you through the app, through email, through video and audio in a way that that transmits the hope that Isaiah is talking about to help sustain you and your family, your friends and your neighbors? Because the beauty of of online is it's shareable. Right now, if this message is speaking to you, you can click share and other people can become aware of it. And I believe that this can actually be a really helpful thing for us as a church, that we can really allow people to listen in and to hear and to respond to the hope that we have as a people. And so we're working to expand our presence online just beyond Sunday morning. Another thing that's really important to us is we're thinking about that next generation, that we really believe that kids can thrive because of faith, not survive it. And, and your kids probably like mine were this morning. My daughter was devastated that she couldn't be here because of the way our volunteers create environments and babies in preschool room all the way through preschool and elementary, like that they create environments where kids feel and experience that hope and love. And so we're trying to imagine what does it look like for there to be some kind of avenue to make sure that in this season, your kids in this next generation experience this hope too. And then we're also thinking through what does it look like to, to form and to put into motion love does as a value in the midst of what potentially could be a global pandemic and the implications of it, which means that we're um, opening up our space to allow other churches to come in and record because not everyone is fortunate to have the equipment to be able to do what we're doing right now with you. So we want to make this available to other churches so that they can broadcast hope to their people too. But we're also thinking about how do we set up and establish a care team for people in our community for you and beyond. What does it look like to be able to love and serve those who are the the most vulnerable in this season? What does it look like to be able to assess the needs? And so we're dreaming of what what could this look like if this is not a gathering place, but it becomes an operation center for hope and love to go out. For us to imagine what it could look like to, to be a place where blood banks, where we could do um, blood donations because blood banks are suffering. What is it to become a, a place for a drop-off for food banks so that we can help mobilize food for those who are in this season who are least kind of the, the, the least accessible to those resources and the most vulnerable to the impacts of this pandemic? And then we're imagining what does it look like for us to even mobilize you in your own communities to be able to love and pray and serve for your neighbors, your friends, and your family. So that's what we're currently imagining. That's what we're working on. And this week, we're going to start to email you our plans because we imagine that the ban on gatherings is going to persist for a little while. And so while it persists, we're going to be shifting into a new model. And so we want to let you know about some of those things that we're going to be changing. And so if you've never gotten an email from us, um, I want to ask you right after this message, go to EncounterChurch.com forward slash connect fill out the card. You don't have to put anything else. Just give us your name and your email because this week we're going to be sending out emails and we want to make sure that you are staying in the loop with all the things that we're going to have for you and your kids and the way that we want to care for our community. 
because this is going to be a critical season. And if you've been getting our emails and you haven't opened them, I want to give you permission to start opening them because we're going to make sure that we're putting resources in there that are going to serve you well in this season that you're walking through because we really believe that we as a church can be a brush fire, not a birthday candle, that what blows against us can actually be what makes us stronger and what enables us to really fully rise up and to be the church. See, church isn't canceled. If people ask you, is your church canceled? The answer is no. We're not canceled. We're going to be catalytic. We're mobilized to be people who show the world that love does. And so for those who are watching right now who call this church their home, I'm going to ask you to boldly to step in, to set up, and to step up in your giving. Because we want to make sure we're adequately resourced to be that force for good in our neighborhood. And so if this ministry's impacted you, if the teaching has made a difference in your kid's life or your life, I want to ask you to consider stepping in and starting to give. And for those who physically give when they're here, I'm going to ask you to, to set up kind of automation like our family's doing so that as we move into this season, we can be adequately resourced to show our community that love does. And you can give through encounterchurch.com forward slash give. You can set up automation. We've made it really simple for you because at the end of the day, we believe as a church that what's happening right now does not get to define us. It may be the thing that we use to describe a season or a chapter of this church's life, but it will never define us. What will define us is that we are a brush fire who when we face resistance, we rise up. We spread, we love, we serve, we pray, we weep, and we fight for those in our community who need us to fight for them. And that you, in this season, the best version of you can be awakened and unlocked because of the hope that he's willing to give you even right now. So let's, church, start putting on that daily. And let's partner together so that we can give you a fresh wardrobe to put that hope on daily. And as we do this, what we will find is the promise written almost 2,500 years ago from Isaiah is just as present to be claimed today as it was then. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you're exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.